Do you wonder how the ancient truth of the Bible intersects with today's news? Do you believe in God's promises to the people and the land of Israel? Welcome to the Lone Star Podcast, a weekly conversation to expand your mind and encourage your soul. Our hosts live in the two Lone Star states, Rabbi Dove Lipman in Israel and Pastor Trey Graham in Texas. This podcast is your opportunity to learn the truth about the God of Israel from two people who love Israel. Please follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new weekly episodes are ready. You ready to be encouraged? Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham. We do welcome you to this week's podcast, and Rabbi, it's great to visit with you. We want to begin with an important news story. While we all are familiar with and celebrating the opening of the American Embassy in Jerusalem, at the same time, there's a very difficult story going on at the border between Gaza and Israel. The fence there is the border fence is to protect Israeli civilians and the Israeli population and yet tens of thousands of Gazans Palestinians not all terrorists but many terrorists are involved in the process trying to breach the border they're trying to send firebombs and other things over the fence to hurt innocent civilians the Israeli Defense Force the IDF has had to do what it has to do which is to defend a civilian population. Sadly, people in Gaza have been injured, many have been killed, and we never celebrate the loss of human life. So it's a tragic story that could have been prevented if the leadership of Gaza, a terrorist group named Hamas, would not have agitated their people to try to threaten the border. So this is caused by and the responsibility of the leaders of Hamas But, of course, the way the media picks it up is the IDF is over-responding, disproportionate force, etc. And I know this is not only a news story for you, it's a personal story because your son is in the IDF right now. Pick up from where I've left off this story. So the truth is, Pastor, I I won't use my own words. I'll, I'll use the words of the leaders of Hamas. The leaders of Hamas have announced that 50 out of the 60 people who were killed along the border this week were members of Hamas, which means that they were terrorists. Uh, They're doing that, obviously, because they want people to understand that they were fighting. And uh, we don't shoot at innocent civilians. My son has told me about the coat of arms, and Israel has the most moral army in the world. We don't shoot at innocent people. But as you said so clearly, if people with weaponry are trying to cross our border. And let's remember, we have villages, we have towns right next to that border. What choice do we have? Uh, I'll remind everybody that Israel always, first we send leaflets, asking people, please don't come to the border, please don't try to charge the border. And over and over again, we make those warnings. Then there's shooting in the air as a first step. Then there's tear gas. But at a certain point, if somebody is actually breaching the border, uh, there is no choice. And those snipers are sitting there waiting for clear orders. There's a lot of ID work doing, being done along the way to make sure that these are actual terrorists and not somebody innocent who happened to be there uh, for some reason. Uh, we're proud of our army. We're proud of our right to defend ourselves. As you said, we don't celebrate the loss of innocent life. And we're not celebrating the loss of the killing of terrorists. Uh, But we are celebrating the fact that we can defend ourselves because we have our own state and we have borders. And everyone just has to imagine. Can you imagine the response of the United States? You're there in Texas. If somehow a bunch of ISIS fighters were making their way across the border from Mexico into Texas, how would the U.S. Army respond? And you have to put it into that context. 
And we are going to defend ourselves, and we'll do so with pride. We'll do so with care for the human life. And we don't have to apologize to anyone for doing so. What does Israel need to do from a public relations perspective? Or in Hebrew, it's called Hasbara, because the media is painting Israel as the bad guy. Militarily, those who understand it, there's no question. But politically and PR-wise, Israel is the aggressor, as I said before, disproportionate force. They're the big, strong guy beating up on these poor little victims. But that's not a true story. That's how it's played out in the media, though. You're a political person. You're a PR person. You're a teacher. What does Israel need to do to change the narrative? We, we need to uh, do a better job on getting the word out more quickly. The army and I understand it, has very strict rules regarding when they release pictures, when they release videos, and there's a process that has to go through before they can do so. I think there has to be more priority put towards streamlining that so that we can get the information out immediately, so that we can see who these terrorists were before they were killed, and we can show what they were doing. We have to get the word out before we're on the defensive, and that's really what this is all about. Um, after it's all said and done, though, it still could be that we'll lose that battle. The United States, we're very thankful, stood up strongly with Israel, and we're thankful for that. They understand that right. The rest of the world, it's so... I, mean, I saw one interview where they were saying, 50 killed in Gaza, zero Israelis. How is that proportional? And I'm thinking to myself, what, why, is, why does it have to be proportion if there are people flying over our borders to kill us? Of course we're going to kill them. Why, why should we be losing lives? How many Israelis have to die for it to be proportional? But we can do a better job by getting information out quickly of exactly what we're doing in real time in the world today with Facebook and Twitter and every other tool that's there. We can do that. And I, I do believe that Israel is going to work to make that process uh, more effective. And I'll wrap this part of the conversation up by saying what we've said on many previous podcasts, and that is, this is not just a physical battle, this is a spiritual battle that's going on. Good versus evil. Absolutely. And, 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 and the, the, the very fact that you have people on one side that are using women and children as human shields, they put them in the front, and the terrorists hide behind them and shoot. They're paying people, people who have no money, only because they're taking all the money that's coming into the Gaza Strip, and they're paying them to go to the border for the day, so people say, okay, I'll go make a few hundred dollars. Uh, that's evil. There, there is real evil in the world, and we're looking at it. And then you have Israel, which just wants to live. We would give up our arms in a moment if it meant that we would have peace, if, if the other side would be willing to have peace. And we're not interested in being in a battle. It's good versus evil. It's people of true faith versus people who are celebrating death and radical Islamic jihadists. And it's important to understand uh, that it's not just a fight for our physical lives, but it's a fight for bringing real spirituality and real faith and real godliness to the world. Let's turn our attention to this week's Torah portion, and we have a double reading this week because we have the regular weekly reading, plus we have another biblical holiday called Shavuot, which we'll talk about in a moment. But this week's Torah portion comes from the book of Numbers. The title in Hebrew of the portion is Bamidbar, which means in the desert or in the wilderness, and it comes from Numbers chapter 1, verse 1. And the story of the book of Numbers, of course, is about numbers. It's about taking of a census. And this census was the idea of the Lord. God told Moses to take a census of all the tribes of Israel, and the census was to apply to counting the number of males aged 20 and older. 
So this was the military age males. So we can extrapolate, if you add to it women and children, we can extrapolate a number, but the number was supposed to be the military age males, and this came when it was a census of the 12 tribes, Reuben, Simeon, Gad, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Ephraim, Manasseh, Benjamin, Dan, Asher, Naphtali, and it totaled up to 603,550, a very specific number. That comes from Numbers chapter 1, verse 46, 603,550. So, Rabbi, the first question is, why would God have them count a number, and what is the significance of military-age males being the ones counted? Well, this, this, this builds into the excitement of this book and the five books of Moses. You can almost feel the people of Israel gathering together and ready for their march into the land of Israel. You can just feel it happening. And this is part of that preparation. They're getting organized. They're putting themselves together. They know they're going to have to have a battle. And the census uh, was certainly uh, a part of that in terms of just on a strategic level, getting everything together, understanding the numbers, understanding who's doing what responsibility. That was a big part of it. There's also another element, which is God is showing his love to the people, showing that every single person is significant. You're part of a nation, and that's important, but you're also uh, individuals. And that's a big understanding as well in terms of God showing his love for each individual. You do play a role. You do have something to contribute, especially if the nation is going to be leaving the desert uh, or supposed to be leaving the desert and enter the land of Israel where they'll each have to build their own homes and, and have agriculture. So it's, it's building up each person and their responsibility uh, as they move into this uh, new reality. So there's many different answers uh, given by uh, the commentaries uh, in terms of uh, what exactly is going on with this. And many commentaries also say, well, let's remember what just happened. They finished with the building of the tabernacle. They finished with the bringing of the divine presence into uh, their camp. And there's a whole new reality that's starting now. So again, the census lets them realize something new is starting, something fresh, something exciting. And it builds the people for that uh, as well. We said that the number of males aged 20 and above was given as 603,550. If you extrapolate from that the women and children, the total somewhere is in the 2 to 3 million range. And what I think is a beautiful lesson here is that the people of Israel have just left Egypt. And remember, only 70 people of the Jews went to Egypt. But what did God make a promise to Abraham before? That your descendants would be more numerous than the stars in the sky or the sand in the seashore. So part of the idea is to give you an, a sense that not only to give us as modern readers, but even the people themselves, there's two million of us now. There's three million of us. Look how many people we have added to our families, how much we have prospered, even in the middle of slavery God's keeping his promise to multiply us, but if you can multiply us to this number, a countable number, 2 million, 3 million, whatever the specific number was, that's still a countable number. That means that the uncountable number of sand on the seashore hasn't been reached yet. God made a promise to Abraham, but the promise isn't fulfilled yet. It's not finished, and God has shown that he is working. It's just showing that he's not finished yet. 
That's for sure. They also know that they're on a path to go somewhere, that this is not the end. You know, they have the tabernacle, they have their the worship, uh, but this is not the end. The goal is to get somewhere, which is obviously the land of Israel, and all of this is preparation for that. And what you just mentioned has been a theme throughout our history. You can knock us, you can hit us, we're just going to come out stronger. And you look at the history, and you see that this is the case. I mean, the classic example is what we just celebrated with Jerusalem Day, where we're on the verge of destruction in June 1967. Israel was preparing mass graves for hundreds of thousands to be lost. And not only with God's help do we fight off our enemies, but we end up with much more of the Holy Land. We end up with Jerusalem. We end up with so much more. We just continue to prosper, and no one is being successful in stopping that. Everyone thinks that they can, uh, but they're not able to do so. And this is something which starts right here in this story with these numbers, and it reminds us every time we read that, that no matter what comes our way, God will make it that we emerge stronger. If we look at Numbers chapter 1, verse 47, it says, The Levites, however, were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. For the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi, or Levi, you shall not number, nor shall you take their census among the sons of Israel. And then the instructions are given to them, which we'll talk about in a moment, about their role in caring for the tabernacle. But it is very interesting that the priests who come out of the tribe of Levi, and this is how we often say it, that all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests, because the priests come directly from the line of Aaron, which comes out of the tribe of Levi. But Rabbi, why did they have the spiritual assignment to care for the tabernacle, to care for the priestly offerings and the sacrifices, but they were not counted, and they are not responsible for military service. So there was a very clear distinction that's made right here regarding the tribe of Levi, or as we call it, Levi, or the Levites, where they are on the one hand, they of course, they're part of the Jewish people, but they're elevated to a different plane where they're focusing on the tabernacle or the temple, and they're responsible for that worship. And it was important for the people to see that distinction. There is a distinction that's made for the people of clergy. There is a need for people who focus on uh, the spirituality. Uh, and even when it comes to military, uh, it's important to have people who are set aside and focused on the spiritual needs because that's what enables uh, the victory to come. And that was this tribe. The tribe was supported by the rest of the people uh, in Israel through tithing and through other things and uh, other donations that were made, and it was important that that distinction be made. The people have to see that, but it even goes a step further. The reason why the tribe of Levi was chosen at this point in time was they did not participate in the sin of the golden calf, and they're sort of elevated to a leadership position because of that as well. Exodus 32 is the point where that story takes place. Correct, going back to Exodus, but this is all, everything that's happening here, remember, we're still in the first, first few years of their experience in the, in the desert, and they're supposed to go right into the land of Israel. So all these preparations have to be made right now for that march, and that includes designating very specific roles. And therefore, the Levites are given this elevated role, they're given this role of carrying the various articles and different things that they have to do for the tabernacle, and it's important for the people of Israel to see that clear distinction being made. Another element we see here in the book of Numbers when we talk about the census in the responsibilities of the different tribes is the way they would camp. 
you had 12 tribes, and four were on the north in the campground setup, four in the south, four on the east, four in the west, and the tabernacle, or the mishkan, was in the center. So we have a sense that God gave very specific instructions, one, for efficiency's sake, but also for priority's sake, or the responsibilities. And remember, we said the Levites were not in the military action, so they were camped nearest the tabernacle in the center of these different 12 tribes and our christian audience will remember first corinthians chapter 14 verse 40 uh, verse 33 that says god is not a god of confusion but of peace or some translations say god is not a god of chaos and so i see that as demonstrated here where the way they are to camp and the way they are to march and the order of march is all very specifically laid out by god as instructions to moses and this is also a part of the incredible nature. There's a real design here. There's a lot of commentaries, and we don't have the time to get into all of it, that talk about exactly why were different tribes given the places where they were, and why are the groupings the way they were. I would challenge our listeners to take a look at these uh, chapters and these verses, and maybe on their own come up with some theories uh, about this. The idea that in the middle you then have the camp of the Levites, and in the middle of that you have the camp of the Divine Presence, all very focused on the God spirit in the middle, and that then trickles out to all of the camps. But a very organized, methodical approach, each one with their flag that represents their individual, unique spiritual nature. There's many lessons uh, to be learned from that to our spirituality. First and foremost, that you know, things do have their place. Things are supposed to be organized in a certain way. You can be more, you can accomplish far more in that manner. But also the idea, like we've talked about before, of different roles. People have roles to play. People have their uniqueness. And for each person to try to find that. We don't have a designation of tribes today. But every person can look at themselves and see what are their strengths and then say, I'm going to make sure to use those strengths uh, to serve God. But the, the whole concept is also taking the people from a bunch of slaves and chaos to, I would say, civilized society with uh, order and rules and designations. And this is all part of this swift change that we're trying to make as we prepare for entering the land of Israel, where, again, everyone will have their designed place as they divide the land uh, by tribes as well, where there's people are supposed to be living together with those who have their uniquenesses and their families. So this is all a preparation for all of that. And there is a tremendous amount of what we call Kabbalah, mysticism, uh, related to much of the camping and exactly where everybody had to go and even the nature of their flags. Every person is important to God. So there are a lot of names here, and they're unusual names or not very well-known names, but every person has significance to God. Every individual matters. And so all the names are listed here because they're all important. They're all important in the sight of God, even if they're not well-known. And what I was going to point out for the Christian audience was if they were to look at Numbers chapter 2, Verse 3, it says, The leader of the sons of Judah was a man named Nashon, the son of Abinadab. And then, if they were to look in Matthew chapter 1, verse 4, which is the genealogy of Jesus, it says, And to Abinadab was born Nashon, and to Nashon, Solomon, and to Solomon was born Boaz by Rahab, and it continues on in the genealogy of Jesus, who we know is called the Lion of Judah. He is from the tribe of Judah, and so there's a connection to the Messianic line, as we believe Jesus is Messiah, 
to this story here in the book of Numbers, and that's another example of what I just said, that people matter and their individual stories matter, and it's cool that the Lord gives us insight into the people when he gives us the names in the book of Numbers. Absolutely, and then you know what's interesting is you know you can try to figure out exactly you know where did these people end up exactly what were their roles who were they because you get little hints uh, we certainly have a lot of what we call the oral Torah the midrashim the Talmud that gives us a lot more information about who they were this fellow Nachshon Ben Aminadav for example who you mentioned uh, was according to our tradition a person who actually jumped into the Red Sea, uh, to show God our faith. And we have little glimpses of who these people were, and it's certainly important. Once they are mentioned in the Bible, we do have to do our research and try to figure out exactly who they were, and a lot of that's based on what their names actually mean. So that's also uh, something of significance. So let's transition out of the weekly Torah portion, which comes again from the book of Numbers, a new study for us this week, and it comes from Numbers chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. And we're going to move into this week's holiday portion. The holiday of Shavuot begins in just a few hours. The Feast of Weeks or the Harvest Feast. And in the New Testament, it's connected to what's called Pentecost. And I'll explain that for our Christian audience in just a moment. But Rabbi, before we get into the Bible study of Shavuot, which comes to us in this reading from Exodus chapters 19 and 20, tell us about what you and your family are doing right now to get ready for the holiday. Oh boy, there is so much being done in terms of the uh, preparations, the food, because remember, we're having Shabbat, starting with the Friday night meal tonight, Shabbat dinner, to, uh, lunch tomorrow, then tomorrow night we go into the, to the holiday. Um, there's a tremendous amount of the food preparation, but there's also spiritual preparation. The holiday of Shavuot is a holiday which is focused on the giving of the Torah, the revelation at Sinai, and therefore it's a holiday dedicated to the study of Torah. So, for example, in our family, our children are planning their schedules. That's exactly what's happening as we speak, because on Saturday night, when the holiday begins, they're going to stay up the entire night the entire night till prayers at 5 o'clock in the morning, studying in different sessions and different classes with their friends. So they're all sort of finalizing those schedules now as we speak. And the holiday of Shavuot is given multiple items of significance in the scriptures. And one of them is, as the rabbi mentioned, it is the day that Jewish tradition tells us that the the Torah was given to Moses on Mount Sinai on the day of Shavuot. And then it also has to do with the harvest of the barley. And it is one of the spring holidays. And Shavuot begins 50 days after Passover. So in this 2018 calendar, Passover was on April the 1st. Shavuot begins on May the 20th. It's 50 days. And that's why in the Greek language, 50th is the term in Greek Pentecost. And so in the New Testament, it talks about Pentecost and all the Jews who were followers of Jesus in the New Testament time were in Jerusalem for the purpose of celebrating the Shavuot festival. And so there's a great connection between Old Testament and New Testament. And Shavuot is one of the Shalos Regalim, these three biblical pilgrimage festivals There are many places in Scripture, including in Deuteronomy 16, verse 16, which says, Three times in a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is 
Passover, Pesach, at the Feast of Weeks, which is Shavuot, what we're talking about now. And it says at the Feast of Booths, which is Sukkot or Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. So this holiday, Shavuot, that begins tonight is on the biblical calendar and it's connected to Passover 50 days later. And it is a agricultural festival as well as, as it is a remembrance of God giving the Torah to the people. So, Rabbi, you could say it is celebrating both physical food and spiritual food. That's exactly right. All of our holidays have a duality to them. There's an agricultural element, and then there's a spiritual element, which, of course, are not so far apart from one another. This is the holiday of the harvesting, uh, when they would harvest the crops, and they would prepare them uh, to eventually bring them into their homes. And there was a great celebration, the giving thanks to God. We give thanks to God at every step of the way, and the harvest is a big part of that. And that does connect uh, to the giving of the Torah as well, where we, so to speak, are given the spiritual blessing from God and the ability uh, to study His Word. And uh, in today's day and age, because we don't really live in an agricultural society, we certainly mention it and we reference it and we read the verses that talk about the offerings that were given, but we very much focus on the spiritual side. It, I, I, it, it's very difficult to describe to listeners, if they haven't experienced it, what it means tomorrow night, uh, on Saturday night, to go to synagogue to pray, come home and have a festive meal with the family, and then instead of everyone going to sleep, everyone then goes for a whole night of studying Torah. The night, it's unbelievable to see young children all the way through, oh, adults studying, everybody doing their own thing, and then as it starts getting towards morning, you again come together in the main sanctuary in the synagogue, and you have prayers, and we pray with the sunrise. Uh, it's the most invigorating experience. It sounds like it would be tiring, and of course we're tired afterwards, but the idea is we, we love the Torah so much, we love what God has given us, the spiritual word, that we have to stay up and study it. And then we read it in the synagogue, the Ten Commandments, and we on a certain level reenact the experience of the revelation. It is, it is actual spiritual invigoration, where you feel reconnected, you feel rejuvenated, and it's one of the most special of the holidays. There are many scriptures that deal with Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks. One of them, Deuteronomy 16, verse 9, says, You shall count seven weeks for yourself. You shall begin to count seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then you shall celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God. So seven weeks... 49 days, and this is on the 50th day. That's how the calendar works. And Rabbi, I have a question for you. In days past, in the times of the Old Testament and the New Testament, when Jews would travel from all over the world to Jerusalem to go to the temple for these biblical festivals, it's such a short period of time from Passover to Shavuot. Would they stay in Jerusalem or would they go back home? If you've walked seven or eight days to get there, would you walk seven or eight days back to stay home two or three weeks and then do it again? Or would you camp out and stay in Jerusalem this whole period from Pesach to Shavuot? I don't have a doubt that there were people who stayed around the area. Uh, but there was a specific idea of making the pilgrimage, of making that trip. But there are those who view from Passover to Shavuot as sort of one long uh, holiday with a short break in between. Uh, just like if you look at the holiday of Sukkot, of Tabernacles, as a holiday at the beginning, a holiday at the end. So this is sort of one long holiday because it's a continuation. The exodus from Egypt is not the end of the story. It was an exodus, it was a redemption for a purpose. 
and that purpose was receiving the Torah. So they are viewed as one big cycle. But in terms of the technicality of what the people actually do, I don't have that much information uh, about it. But I will say this, because we do have reports of people bringing their first fruits, the Bikurim, to the temple for Shavuot, which would indicate that they were home, they would go through the harvest, and then they would actually bring it to there. So there does seem to be some place for people to have done the trip home and then making the trip back. And Rabbi, there are some things that are just really great about you and I as friends, as a rabbi and a pastor studying the Word of God together. And one of those, I think, comes from this idea, and that is, remember Shavuot occurs on the 50th day after Passover, so you're supposed to count 49 days. And I am told that one of the observances of Shavuot is to read Psalm number 67 on Shavuot because it contains exactly 49 words and 49 days. And one of the verses within Psalm number 67 is verses 1 and 2. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that thy way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples, verse 3, praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 4, let all the nations be glad and sing for you, for you will judge the people with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. And that's part of Psalm 67, talking about the nations of the world, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles also. So a celebration of Shavuot, reading Psalm 67, giving Torah to the nations, that's exactly what we're doing on the Lone Star Podcast. Absolutely. And let's remember, this celebration that we're having of the, of the revelation at Sinai, this is something which is meaningful to all of us. This is something which uh, we all believe in and we all share. This is where God revealed his world, word to the world. So certainly a, a basis for all of us to celebrate together. And for our Christian audience, it's what I'll be teaching on this Sunday at our church home, and that is we mentioned the word Pentecost, which is the Greek term for the same holiday. Acts chapter 2 talks about the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, and we say the church was founded on that day. So this has a great significance to the Jews and to the Christians, Shavuot slash Pentecost, and I would wish all of our listeners a Hag Sameach, a happy holiday. And Rabbi, I will ask you to take our study of the census from the beginning of the book of Numbers and our discussion about the holiday of Shavuot, connect the dots and wrap it up for us today. So again, the, the, the preparation for uh, the Jews to prepare enter the land of Israel, to come closer to God's presence, that's what we're talking about over here, and that's the holiday of Shavuot as well. It all comes together. It's all a celebration of our relationship with God. And there's no greater joy to be a physical human being, but to recognize that we have our spiritual side and uh, to recognize that we have to tap into that soul and celebrate uh, that relationship. And that's what we're reading about in the portion, um, and that's what we're celebrating on the holiday of Shavuot, that everyone should find great happiness in that relationship and joy in our ability to connect to the divine. And I will finish with the remaining three verses that I did not read from Psalm 67, starting in verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Amen and amen. Amen and a Shabbat Shalom to you and happy holidays to everyone. Shabbat Shalom. Hag Sameach. Thank you for joining us for the Lone Star Podcast. 
Follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new episodes are ready. Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham next time to expand your mind and encourage your soul. May the Lord bless you and draw you to himself this week.